Finding pleasure in loving others. Um, So far over the past several weeks, we've been talking about finding our joy in God. And God's Word has reminded us that you, God, reveal the path of life to me. And in your presence is abundant joy. Your right hand, in your right hand, are eternal pleasure. Psalm 1611. And also Psalm 37.4 reminds us to take delight in the Lord and it will give you your heart's desires. And these two texts really deal with our vertical relationship with God. Last week we looked at biblical picture of worship and how that really stems vertically. Um, the conclusion of the matter is this. True worship is radiating God's glory, right? It's all about pointing others to Him, boasting in Him, praising Him for who He is and what He has done. So it's radiating God's glory and it's bedrocked in biblical truth and stems from a heart of one who finds his joy in God. You can't take delight in someone you don't pleasure. You can't take delight in someone you don't love. So the more we love God, the more we want to find our joy in Him, the more we radiate His glory and worship Him. This week we're going to look at the topic of love from a horizontal perspective. We're going to look for a moment at displaying love for those around us. And as we do that, I really think that in the church, this is really needed. Um, I've found out over the years that there are a lot of people who come through the back doors of the church. And uh, church in the sense that they come to a place, they come to meet with people, they come to exalt the Lord through singing, through the preaching of the Word and so forth. And there's something that we don't get. A lot of people go through struggles behind closed doors that no one else knows about, right? It's easy to walk through the back door of the church and, um, and to really put on our Sunday dress, our Sunday look, our Sunday smile, bring our Sunday book, and so forth. And I don't want to take that lightly because I think it's important to be here. Hebrews 10 makes it very clear that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more as we see the day, the final days approaching, right? Um, so as we come into the back door, we come in, but we make it, as we said last week, kind of a compartment of our life. And what we each don't know about the other oftentimes is the struggles that goes on behind closed doors. Sometimes we don't understand when we come into the doors of the facility that someone else is really, really hurting. Or maybe they're struggling financially. Or maybe they have heard news from a doctor that hasn't been made public yet. Or maybe there's a difficult circumstance with dealing with a parent or a child. And those things aren't just common knowledge. And they're discouraged, they're frustrated, hurting. And oftentimes what they don't find and what they need to find is love. Amen? Without getting into the nitty-gritty of what's going on in their private life, people need to be loved. Right? And we need to love so much the more the body of Christ. Those of us who are part of His family. And it stems out to those who are not as well. And I think in the church of Jesus Christ, there's, a, 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 I think, a significant amount of love that goes out, but it's not enough. I believe that we need more. I believe everyone... Is there anyone that just doesn't like to be loved? I've never met that person yet. Everyone enjoys when someone loves them. 
I know we can't compare to what Christ has done for us, but we need to share that. So as we get started this morning, I want to just answer several questions this morning. Um, the first one being this, why do we love? It's God's nature and delight to love. In fact, if you would, take your Bible and turn to Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9, I think, gives us a, a great picture of who God is. Verse 24 says this, But one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am Yahweh, this is Yahweh now, showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. What has the Lord declared here? He's declared that it is His, His nature, it is His desire to show faithful love. And if it's God's desire to show love, should it not also be our desire to show love? Right? In 1 John, take your Bibles and turn it over to 1 John chapter 4. Another uh, passage that reiterates this so well. 1 John chapter 4, and I want to begin reading in verse 7. It says this, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So if we were to stop right there, there is a characteristic of those who love God is that they what? They love others. We love others because God first loved us. That's His nature. That's His example that we're to follow. And then he goes on verse 8. says, The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Love consists of the, in this. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. And God remains in us, and His love is perfected in us. So we get the idea here that God's desire, by His own very nature, by His own example, is that He loves others, and it's perfected in us as we do so to others. God's desire for us, every one of us within the body of Christ, is to show love to one another. I'm afraid that we don't do that very well at times. You see, God's love is a little bit different than man's love. Oftentimes, though we would never say this, God's love often tends to be conditional. So let me flip that phrase around. God's love, or man's love, it seems to be conditional. God's love is unconditional. So you would never say this from a human perspective, if you do this, I'll love you. But how we act is, when you don't do this, I withhold my love from you. You see how we do that sometimes? You know, this person upset me, so I'm not going to spend time with them. Or this person said something about me, so I'm not going to pay any attention to them. We kind of like, by the very fact that there's maybe a rift, or a something that has been said, or something that has been done, we withhold our time, our affection, our friendship, and we make it conditional. When God's love is unconditional, and if God loves unconditionally, how should we love? Same way, I believe. So what does biblical love look like? 
We love because God first loved us. That's what He's demonstrated. That's what He has told us to do. He said, this is what is an example of someone who loves me. They will love others. So what does this biblical love look like? Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's walk through that for a few moments. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is a very familiar passage. You know it. So beginning with verse 1, it says, If I speak human or angelic languages, but do not have love, I am sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Stop right there. Can words be empty? Yes. In fact, God's Word says very clearly, I might be able to speak angelic languages. I might be able to stand up and say all these things and come across as so nice, so kind. But without love, it's just noise. In other words, what's he saying here? Actions speak louder than words. And we have to be careful that we don't become people who just speak words. But that we live it out in our day-to-day living. Verse 2, he says, If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith, so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. You know what nothing means? Nothing means empty, nothing, not there. Go on. And this is not really deep. This is written so we can all understand this is very clearly. And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, now if I give my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain, there's that big monster word again, nothing. And we're going to come back to that verse in a few moments. But I think verse 4 is really where it starts getting really difficult for most of us as human beings. Flesh-filled, sin-filled, selfish human beings. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not conceited, does not act improperly, is not selfish, is not provoked, does not keep a record of wrongs. Ooh, I wish I had learned that earlier in marriage. You remember six weeks ago when you... Yeah. I thought maybe you were willing to forget that. doesn't keep a record. Hmm. Of wrongs. In verse 6, this goes right along with it. Love finds no joy in, righteous, in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Wow. Let's go back just for a moment. Patient. How patient are we with people? I can remember, and I'm just, this is just me in my own little peanut gallery. I remember when I first started dating. How many remember those days? Yeah, when you, those of you married. Woo! I'm telling you, this woman could do no wrong. Right. Right. <laughs> Happy wife, happy life, right? Yeah, you know. No. She could do no wrong in my eyes. Why? Because I always wanted to spend time with her, wanted to you know, be around her. And even if she did something that annoyed me, it's like, that's no big deal. No big deal. It's all good. Even though if it would have been someone else doing the same thing, it would have gotten to the very core of me and been dis- I would have been disgusted. For example, growing up, I've always liked salads. And um, 
growing up, my mom knows I don't like, I didn't in high school like carrots in salad. That's just nasty. Now, I like them now, 20 years later. But when I was in high school, I didn't like carrots. Frozen carrots are just of the devil. Or of the devil. But we got married, and she made a salad almost two, three times a week. You know what she put in them things? Every time. If that would have been anyone else under the sun, I would have told them a thing or three. But since it was dawn, love was patient. She don't know. How could she know? I'm not going to tell her. Don't want to hurt her feelings. You see how that works? When we love, we are patient. And when we are not... I like to flip things around a lot. You notice that. When we are not patient, what's that really mean? We are not exercising love. So love is patient. Love is kind. When we first got married, man, I would do absolutely anything for her. I still will, just by the way. Most of the time. But man, she's, hey, honey, can you do that? Absolutely. Is there anything else you need me to do? 20 years later, man, I'm tired, man. Can you go to, yeah, it's it in a few minutes. Turns into the honey-do list that all of us men have, seemingly, um, that we didn't know that we were going to get that list when we got married. Um, but kind? Man, when we first got married? Yeah, absolutely, babe. Anything you want, it's done. Even if I didn't have money, I'll sell something and get it. I'll do it. Kind. Seeks the best in others. How often are we willing to be that way? Does not envy? I mean, there's a lot we could say there. It's not boastful. It's not conceited. It's not about me. It's all about the other. The person to whom is receiving the love. Does not act improperly. Is not selfish. Is not provoked. Does not keep a record of wrongs. Let's stop there for a minute. How many of us in our marriages, in our relationships... You can remember the argument you had four weeks ago. And yet, Scripture says, don't let the sun go down on your... What? Wrath, your anger. Deal with today's issues when? Today. We don't hold a record. Because that's not love. Someone said the other day, well, doesn't, doesn't love forget? Well, maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. But according to this, when it comes to this perspective... It doesn't hold a record. Going on, love finds no joy in unrighteousness. In other words, when somebody does something wrong and they're caught doing wrong, <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> Everyone knew that was going to happen. You know? No. We don't make light of the fact that someone else has done wrong. Bears all things, believes all things, hope all Endures all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Look at verse 8. Love, what's the word? Never. Say that? Never ends. But as for prophecies, they'll come to an end. As for languages, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it'll come to an end. Look down verse 13. Now these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is. I realize it's a simple overview, but think about this. Love is important. 
How do we exercise that love in our day-to-day living? We gotta look, look at these things and we need, maybe we need to remind ourselves daily of what this list is all about. And ask ourselves how true we are to that list and the definition that God has given us of love. In 1 John chapter 3, in verse 18 it says, Little children, we must love with, with word or speech, or I'm sorry, little children, we must not love with word or speech, but with truth and action. In other words, love is a decision. It's not merely a feeling. It's merely an emotion. Love results in action. Choose the husband-wife relationship once again. Honey, I love you. Hey, would you be willing to stop by the store? Oh, man, I'm... I love you, but I'm tired, man. I had a long day today. I just don't feel like doing that right now. But... You know, I got this, this, and this. Can, can you please just stop by? Ugh. What are we saying here? Love is an action. I can say that I love my wife, but if I'm not willing to put feet to it, idle words. That's all it is. Love is a decision that results in action. We talk about that a lot, but do we love in action? Because that's what it says here. But with truth and action. So, do we love the way God's Word shows us? Let me illustrate this. Turn your Bibles to James chapter 2. Just for a moment. James chapter 2, 15 and 16. In the bigger context, he's talking about faith versus works, uh, faith producing works, not having one or the other. But look at verse, verse 15 and 16 right in the middle of all this. It says, If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, eat well, hmm. but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? So in other words... I can say that I love someone, but if I'm not willing to help out, if I'm not willing to put feet to my words, if I'm not willing to let it become an action part of who I am, it's kind of like that passage in James 2.15. Go in peace, be warm, be filled, eat well, catch you later. Is that love? No. Love produces an action. It's willing to go out, and we're going to see this in other places here in Scripture in just a moment. So, why do we love? Because God demonstrated that, and He declared that we're, we're, we're supposed to do it. What does love look like? We see that in 1 Corinthians 13. How does the right kind of love occur? And I truly believe the answer to this question is this. By finding our joy in God. Let's see, look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if you would turn there. 2 Corinthians in chapter 8. First of all, let's look at the first four verses. It says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. I testify that on their own, according to their own ability and beyond their ability... They begged us insistently 
for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints. What if we just stopped right there for a moment? What is the right kind of, how does this right kind of love occur? We see here this, there's a joy that is coming from within. And we talked about it in our worship, that when the Holy Spirit lives within us, there's a joy that comes out like a, like a wellspring, uh, that, that comes out and irradiates God's glory. So we see this first of all, and it's a picture of grace. We want to, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. So he says, we want you to know about this grace that God granted to the churches of Macedonia. So out of this grace that Paul wanted them to know and experience during a severe testing of affliction, it was not an easy time. I don't know about you, but I don't enjoy affliction in any way, shape, or form. Anybody agree? We like things to go good. But during a severe testing of affliction, their abundance of what? What's the word? Joy. You mean during a terrible affliction, they can have joy? That's what it says. It says, and their deep poverty overflowed into a wealth. Think about that, of their generosity. And I testify that on their own, according to their ability and beyond their ability. Get the next phrase. They begged. How could this be? During a time of testing of their affliction was great. And yet, because of their joy that was stemming from within. You see, we talked about this a couple weeks ago on Sunday night. Our joy is not based on circumstances, right? Would you agree with that? So regardless of the affliction, no matter how great it is, it did not affect their joy. Because their joy was not stemmed in their circumstances. It was not as a result of their difficult situations. That's a given. It says that they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. Not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves especially to the Lord, then to us by God's will. And then down to verse 8. I am not saying this as a command, rather by means of the diligence of others. I am testing the genuineness of your love. This is really a test of your love. What was the basis here? He says, man, I love God. I love people. And this joy that I have, even though we're in a time of deep affliction, I want them to know grace. I want them to know what God is doing. I mean, think about that. Over and over, he says, this, this, compared to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, I think it was verse 4, if I give everything that I have, I mean, I could give every cotton pick and penny I own, every stitch of clothes that I have in my dresser, every possession that I may have under my roof, including the house. If I give everything that I have and have not love, it's what? Nothing. That's the message he shared with the Corinthians. Now it comes over to the Macedonians, and they're like, what else can I give to? What was the difference? The love. And the joy that God had put in their hearts, even though there was great affliction. 
And you go right back to verse 1. He wants you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. Granted to the churches. So what did they do here, really, in essence? Because of their love, and they had a joy that overflowed, they gave, even though they were in a time of testing and affliction, so that what? The grace of Jesus Christ could be demonstrated. So what does our love do? It opens a door to show the grace of God. Isn't that the long process short? We forget that sometimes. And then he adds just one more little tidbit to this. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Remember this, verse 6. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly out of necessity. For God loves what? A cheerful giver. So he adds to this, God loves a cheerful giver. Someone who gives out of, not out of necessity, but out of a heart that says, I just want to give. And then lastly, real love rejoices in finding joy in others. How do I know that? Go back to 1 Corinthians. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 23. Now we'll read through chapter 2, verse 4. Verse 23 says this, I call on God as a witness on my life that it was to spare you that I did not come to Corinth. I do not mean that we have control of your faith, but we are workers with you for your joy. Because you stand by faith. In fact, I made up my mind about this. I would not come to you on another painful visit. For if I cause you pain, then who will cheer me other, cheer me other than the one being hurt by me? I wrote this very thing so that when I came, I wouldn't have pain from those who ought to give me joy, because I am confident about all of you that my joy will also be yours. What's he saying here? He said, I didn't want to come at the moment. I was prohibited from coming, whatever. The bottom line is, he said, I couldn't do it because he said, I don't want to cause pain. Because if I'm coming to give you joy and I cause you pain, then, then how is this thing going to rectify itself? Verse 4. It says, For I wrote to you with many tears out of an extremely troubled and anguished heart, that you should be, that, that, not that you should be hurt, but that you should know the abundant love I have for you. What was his desire? That they would know his love. He says, it's not my intention that anyone be hurt. It's not my intention that anyone should cause or be, be in pain because of this visit. He says, but here's my heart. Not that you should be hurt, but that you should know the abundant love I have for you. That was his desire. It rejoiced in finding joy in others. I wonder... If I could just kind of illustrate this in a very, if I could say, cheesy way. <laughs> you ever been to a place where someone gets something new and you're like, hmm. And then you, the word, the word is out that somebody got this new thing, whether it's a car or a house or a, um, some type of object of affection. 
And all of a sudden the word gets out and then this secondary word gets out. How in the world did they do that? I mean, they make, I mean, surely they only make such and such hour, you know, per hour and they only make about this much a year. How in the world can they afford that? I've heard that so many times when someone got a new house, a new car, a new this, a new that. Rather than, that is awesome! That is thinking cool! That's awesome! You kind of throw the judgmental card. How did they do that? I mean, good Lord. I mean, Lord Himself knows I work this kind of hours and I work this kind of job and I can't afford that. Why do they get that? He says, I want to find joy in others. He says, I am come. I don't want to bring you any type of pain. I am, I want you to have joy. And we rejoice with those that have joy. Because that's what God desires of us. It's His example. It's what He's demonstrated. It's what He's declared. And we do this because He's first done it. He's lived this out. And yet oftentimes, we live in a selfish box. We worried so much about ourselves. And yesterday, I was talking to a man. Uh, he stopped to look at my trailer that was for sale, my little snowmobile trailer. And as I was sitting there talking with him, this came out. He says, uh, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. I, I don't believe you have to go to church to be a Christian. But he said, I think you have, if you want to be a good Christian, you go to church. But if, you're, if you just want to be a Christian, you don't have to go to church. And he's going on and on and on. And I'm kind of like trying to get a word in here and, and so forth. And it's just really it's getting interesting. And um, but after a while, we just start talking about. He says, "But really, he says if people more love, he says he says people would love each other, right?" He says, "You know, my son was a pastor once. He was a pastor for several years, and he got done wrong by the church, and now he quit church, and uh, you know, and he's on and on." And I, I, folks, we need to be people of love. We need to rejoice with those that are rejoicing. But we need to show that love to one another. And when we don't, we miss the opportunity to be a conduit by which God wants to work through us. The only way we can properly do this is by us loving God first, letting Him, uh, His joy in and through us irradiate His glory, right? But if that doesn't happen, we're wasting time. We're wasting time. I want to be a true picture of Jesus Christ. And I want to love others. And I cannot properly love Him if I have no joy in Him. We can make it about things, or about circumstances, or situations, but we miss the point. The real point is that God demonstrated this. And He wants it to be in His church. So let's practice that. But it stems from a heart, once again, that first finds joy in God. And then as we find joy in God, we want to have joy in others. Expressed in love. So when you're tempted this week to act selfishly, when you're tempted to have wrong thoughts towards someone else, when you're tempted to not be godly in our affections, let's remember what God first did for us. He loved us before we were, before we were love, lovely. He loved us in our sinfulness. Didn't love our sin. But He loved us so much that He sent His Son to die on a cross for us.
That's the ultimate sacrifice. Ultimate sacrifice. And we need to find our joy in Him. And when we do that, it will overflow in love to others. Let's pray.